Welcome to this special edition episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Ian Trelor. Ian. Abby, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about uh, about some bleak and horrible things with you. Excited's maybe the wrong word, but... You've been on quite a journey the last couple months with this story. Should we start from the beginning? Yeah, let's start from the beginning. So I, I think that a lot of people probably came across news way back in October. We're going back to October last year. A lot's happened since then, but we'll start there. When uh, the UCI, in conjunction with Sylvan Adams, the owner of Israel uh, Premier Tech, they are called now, uh, and Israel and the UCI and the Afghan Cycling Federation, as a big collaborative effort, organized the evacuation of between 125 and 165 threatened Afghans. Um, at the time it was presented as mostly cyclists. These are people that were uh, under threat from the Taliban who had just taken over Afghanistan again um, after the US withdrew. And all of these cyclists and a, a mix of other people as well were evacuated by the UCI and it was a great humanitarian moment. Everyone was very excited about it. The UCI was very excited by it. And it could have just been a, a good news story. But unfortunately, it didn't quite turn out that way. You're right. It started as this this big moment where I think a lot of people looked at it and thought, oh, man, the UCI did this amazing thing, which I think we'll play in a little bit more when we get into the kind of nastier aspects of this story. But at what point did you see that this wasn't a good news story and there were things going on in the background that the world, the cycling world and everyone just wasn't quite aware of? I think that I, I wouldn't call myself a cynic, but I think that I've worked on enough, enough stories involving the UCI or looking at um, corruption or, or less savory aspects of cycling's governance that I looked at it and I at least wanted to know whether it was as was being presented. So I, I started to do a little bit digging, a little bit of digging and then I got a, a couple of tip-offs and started looking into things and a picture began to emerge that this fabled UCI evacuation convoy out of Afghanistan perhaps had some people on the convoy that were not cyclists, that were actually just friends and family of the Afghan Cycling Federation head, um, business associates of his, uh, his local baker, people that worked at his travel agency. So after a lot of reporting and a lot of working via translators and trying to trying to unearth what was actually going on with this evacuation convoy, this less savory picture began to emerge of, um, of bullying and coercion and threats that were being issued against cyclists speaking up who had uh, realized that the convoy was kind of being misused by people in power to evacuate people that maybe weren't entitled to the evacuation or weren't in the spirit of the evacuation. So over, over the course of about a month of reporting 
dealing with with people in multiple time zones, people that had been evacuated, people that were trying to get evacuated, people that were advocates for those um, Afghan cyclists. I was able to put it, put together this article that revealed these fairly serious allegations against the Afghan Cycling Federation and particularly against the Afghan Cycling Federation president, who is a guy called Fuzzly Ahmad Fuzzly. To understand the allegations and also the way more serious actions that have happened since then that you've reported in your most recent article, we have to understand first what actually happened with the evacuation and the two lists that you've seen. First, a list that did include a lot of cyclists, some of which are the ones that you have been able to contact. And the second list, which was the list that eventually got evacuated and was more populated with those close to Fazli in his life. Yeah, for sure. So you're right, it is a tale of two lists. So there, there was an initial list that was put together in collaboration with um, Shannon Galpin, who is a sort of humanitarian and activist and figurehead of cycling in Afghanistan. She worked in Afghanistan establishing the first Afghan women's cycling team uh, and has been on multiple trips to Afghanistan over a period of more than a decade. So she initially was involved in helping the UCI via Silton Adams and David Lepartian establishing that first list. That list was virtually uh, ignored in the final evacuation convoy because I, I think in large part there's at this core of the at the core of this story there's there's this kind of wrestle for control of power and and who is counted as a legitimate cyclist in Afghanistan and it's the Afghan Cycling Federation that wants to be the final arbiter of who is a cyclist and who is not. So when they saw that this list was getting constructed with uh, people that may have been cyclists that Shannon Galpin worked with that weren't current Cycling Federation members, for example, um, they felt that they were being cut out of the picture. And at the same time, Shannon Galpin and another guy called Farid Nouri uh, of an organisation called MTB Afghanistan were fundraising to try and um, raise money to get Afghan cyclists out of Afghanistan, which the Afghan Cycling Federation saw as people trying to profit off the plight of Afghan cyclists because they weren't seeing the money. They just assumed that it was corruption and that the money was uh, just being pocketed by people. So I, I think initially uh, that that kind of, I think they were trying to do the right thing. And I think that they probably felt that they were doing the right thing, but they seem to have become blinded to this reality. And then as all of these different dominoes have fallen over the course of the last three or four months, there have just been increasingly dramatic uh, escalations and violent escalations, which have led to a terrible position that we're in now. Can we really quickly talk about the UCI's role in the evacuation? The UCI, in conjunction with a local councillor from a department 
or a canton in Switzerland, a guy called Philip Luber. Uh, they basically used their political lobbying power to help get visas for the cyclists. So, of course, you've, you've got cyclists in Afghanistan who are threatened by the Taliban and may face death or may face torture or all sorts of horrendous abuse because of cycling or because they're women that cycle or because they're religious minorities that cycle. There's, there's a range of different factors that come into play here. But those cyclists in Afghanistan that are trying to get out may not have passports or may not have a country of asylum that they can get to. So what do you do when you get them out of the country? Like they might flee across the border to Pakistan or to Iran or something. But if you don't have um, asylum for them to go to a next destination, then they're kind of stuck there and they're not necessarily in a better position uh, than, than they would have been uh, if they'd stayed in Afghanistan maybe. So the UCI's role was to try and lobby with uh, governments and to try and get asylum for, for the cyclists and for the non-cyclists as it turns out, they got out of Afghanistan. So a bunch of the uh, convoy ended up getting asylum in Switzerland, including Fuzzly, including Fuzzly's family, um, his little brother, uh, a range of assorted Fuzzlies in Switzerland um, with asylum. And I think the other area that the UCI could see that it was a potential win for them was that it was a pretty good PR moment. And I think that they probably uh, enjoyed that PR moment and promoted that PR moment as much as possible to create this image of themselves as being progressive or, I don't know, supportive of, of human rights issues. And I think that they probably, no, I, I believe that they thought that they were doing the right thing and they were doing the right thing. It was just exploited uh, without their knowledge. So originally there was the tale of two lists. There was serious allegations against the Afghan Cycling Federation president. But what happened after the evacuation happened is really the more serious story here. The more recent article that you wrote about blackmail, bullying, abduction, and that's why we're here right now and why we wanted to bring this story in front of a broader audience and really talk about it because ever since you spoke to cyclists and you had contacts within the Afghan Cycling Federation, that's that's kind of when things really started to get pretty nasty. Yeah. So, so since the, the story broke uh, on the 11th of November, that's, that's kind of the first, first date that I want to stick in the sand. A whole series of ramifications began to happen. So the Afghan cycling Federation president Fuzzy was outraged. He was furious and he was extremely upset that his 
legitimacy was being questioned. So he started lashing out. And a lot of the ways that he was lashing out were in, in a WhatsApp group to Federation cyclists. Many of these messages were leaked to us um, and translated where he was telling the cyclists or alleging that he knew, quote, seven people that had spoken against him by catching one, we will find the rest easily. I will make sure all of you pay for what you have done. He said in another message, I have very detailed information at you all, especially the three motherfuckers who are closely involved in these works as whistleblowers. It'll only take me a month to go to them and talk to them in person. Then you will see what these things you are doing mean. He was repeatedly threatening cyclists uh, that he would email the UCI and have their licenses revoked. And the cyclists saw this as a pretty significant threat, even though the reality of it is, is not that severe. Uh, that was the leverage that he had over the cyclists to get them out of Afghanistan. They believed that if they were UCI uh, license holders, then they had a stake on evacuation. So he was uh, using their UCI credentials as leverage to stop them from speaking out against him. He also coached uh, the cyclists of the Afghan Federation on how to use Twitter so that they could respond to negative comments about the Federation and himself. There are messages which are kind of surreal in which is talking about how they should um, not retweet the cycling tips article, but they should quote tweet it and then comment uh, in the, in the quote tweet. He also said that the article was 95% lies and that I was a cuckold and that whenever you see these people, you should spit in their faces and treat them worse than you would treat Satan. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that since we broke the story uh, at the start of November, Cycling News has done an independently researched story that has come to the same kind of conclusions. A Swiss current affairs TV show has uh, gone in depth on this story just before Christmas. They've all arrived at similar con conclusions. And uh, journalists, including myself, have, um, have faced recriminations on social media by the Afghan Cycling Federation. Uh, I got my private phone number published by their Twitter account, which was, which was fun. Um, and then it wasn't just the WhatsApp messages and it wasn't just the, the words, the, the anger that was spilling out of Fuzzly. Probably the most severe and serious recrimination was when he went after a cycling tips source or someone he believed was a cycling tips source. Uh, he, he thought that a rider that spoke to us, that we, we anonymized this rider uh, with the name Amin. It was Amin uh, in the original cycling tip story that alleged the details about Fuzzly's brother, his brother-in-law, his business associates and friends that they'd been evacuated. And for that testimony, he was uh, removed from an evacuation list by Fuzzly. Amin had fled across the border to Pakistan and the day after the article was published, began receiving a series of threatening phone calls, uh, warning him that if he didn't stop speaking out, they knew where he was and they would come for him. And we've, we've viewed a call log, which confirmed five successive calls from a, a number in Pakistan. Two weeks later, on the evening of November 26th, uh, after a continued campaign of harassment from Fuzzly and his supporters, 
and more phone calls. Amin uh, says he was kidnapped and explained to me through a translator how a group of four assailants came to his house in Pakistan. They covered his eyes, bound his hands, took his phone and moved him to an unknown location. There, Amin says, he was kept in a dark room without food or water for four days. He was slapped and repeatedly doused in cold water to prevent him from sleeping. At that time, in that part of Pakistan, the temperatures were single degrees um, Celsius, so it was pretty cold. And as a result, he started getting pretty sick. Um, he was kind of delirious, he tells me. Uh, at one point, Amin's captors unlocked his phone with his fingerprint, played back and deleted the messages from Fuzzly and then smashed his phone. Around four days later, after being um, being beaten and doused in cold water, uh, he was put in a car, sort of half, half coherent, driven for a while and released unconscious in this village of... Uh, of Pakistan that he'd never been to before where he was assisted by an old man. So uh, Amin is now in hiding and fearful of further recriminations. Um, as much as possible, we verified that story. Uh, although there are, there are some details which are impossible when you're working through translators and working with people on the opposite side of the world in third world countries, there's, there's only so far you can go, but from, from the call logs that we've seen and from the messages we've seen and from the timelines that we've pieced together, all of that seems to check out. While all of this is going on and after you, Cycling News and other media outlets have debunked the evacuation and all come to the same conclusion, the UCI has remained completely silent on the situation. In the days before the first cycling tip story in November, we got our sole contact from the UCI on this topic. Um, they provided a statement that showed support for Fuzzly and blamed any negative attention on the evacuation as being the result of a, an unspecified, quote, ill-intentioned person that has been trying to denigrate all that has been achieved. So I asked them, who was that ill-intentioned person? And explained that my story was not based on what I'd been told by any one person, but by the testimony of six sources in four different countries. They didn't respond. Immediately after the article came out, I sent them a kind of courtesy email. At that point, I was getting messages from, uh, from cyclists and sources in Afghanistan saying, I'm being told that people are coming for me. You've got to help me find a safe house. I, I am worried that my life is in danger. And I contacted the UCI, said, here's the article. Um, I, think, I think you need to know about this. Obviously, you know, I'm the media, I guess I'm the enemy, whatever. But take this with as much of a pinch of salt as you need to, but please look into this. I can provide recordings. I can provide, like, all of this is done, or a lot of this is done over WhatsApp voice messages, the, the threats, death threats and horrendous things being said, WhatsApp voice messages where you have an MP3 that you can forward to people. And I, I had these recordings and I was offering to send it to them and no response. So I, the UCI, for what it's worth, also issued what seems to be an identical statement that they gave me in November 
to other media outlets investigating the story, including the Swiss TV program, which aired more than six weeks later. So in that period, we have someone that the Afghan Cycling Federation believed to be uh, a media source getting tortured. We have the UCI ignoring uh, an offer of voice recordings that could verify that this was happening. And part of what, uh, if, I'm, if I'm sounding agitated, I'm sorry, but this kind of pisses me off because this could, be, could have been prevented. The torture of this cyclist could have been prevented. Some other horrible things that I'm about to tell you could have been prevented. Um, 10 days, 10, 11 days after we offered the recordings of fuzzily directly threatening cycling tip sources. I sent that to various senior members of the UCI, including Vincent Jacket, the UCI's head of international relations. 10 days later, he was pictured laughing with Fuzzly being awarded a commemorative Tour to Afghanistan medal, along with the Swiss politician, Philip Luber. And then two days after that, Amin was captured and tortured he believes under Fuzzly's orders. So the timeline and the paper trail is pretty damning, I think, for the UCI. And despite almost daily social media posts from Afghan cyclists and from advocates uh, expressing their concerns about Fuzzly's conduct, there has not been a response. They've been offered $150,000 in fundraised money by Farid Nouri and MTB Afghanistan um, if they're prepared to work with him to resettle Afghan cyclists, they haven't responded to that. They haven't responded to any requests for comment from cycling tips since the initial article. They, to me, if I word this carefully, at best seem to be afraid of putting a foot wrong. And at worst, I feel are potentially covering up for a dangerous, abusive person that they recently awarded a UCI merit award at the most recent UCI Congress for his services to Afghan cycling. Because like it or not, well, the UCI, like it or not, as a cycling federation underneath UCI governance, the Afghan Cycling Federation has to operate under the UCI Code of Ethics, which, for obvious reasons, strictly prohibits um, any kind of action like that that Fuzzily has allegedly made. Yeah, I, I would say that the UCI Code of Ethics doesn't expressly um, mention torture <laughs> and uh, doesn't expressly... Uh, prohibit some of like death threats. I, I don't think when they were writing the UCI code of ethics, they were thinking that they even needed to um, specify that a member federation of the UCI shouldn't be doing those things. And yet here we are. But yeah, there's, there's multiple articles, article 6.1, article 6.4, article 7.4, article two under appendix one. If you go and look up the UCI Code of Ethics, there are so many points where I feel that it's fairly unambiguous 
that a line has been crossed. And yet, when I approached the UCI Ethics Commission late last year, uh, they're a separate body that officiates on the, on the UCI. They didn't respond for a month, but when they got back to me, they said that the Ethics Commission did not receive any complaints substantiated by facts which could constitute a breach of the UCI Code of Ethics regarding the Afghan Cycling Federation or its president. Maybe they don't have the facts, but they have been offered the facts and they have declined to respond. And multiple people, not just, not just me, not just the Afghan cyclists, a lot of people have been trying to draw their attention to this and to this point, there has been no apparent action. Because Shannon also has been quite vocal on on Twitter and there's been a pretty big smear campaign against her as well from the Afghan Cycling Federation. Yeah, so the Afghan Cycling Federation has accused her of mental illness and of corruption and of uh, all sorts of things. For what it's worth, she has evacuated more than 70 cyclists um, out of Afghanistan as a private individual through largely funded by a, a crowdfunding avenues and is working to resettle people whilst being actively undermined by the Afghan Cycling Federation and apparently ignored by the UCI. It does not strike me as a good position um, for her to have been put in that the fate of so many Afghan cyclists seems to rest on her shoulders at this point through the inaction of the UCI at this point. So where are we now? Where do we stand now? We stand in a position where the Afghan cyclists that have been left behind are increasingly vocal and aware that they have been uh, ignored or that what they see as their rightful place on a convoy out of Afghanistan has been taken by people that Fuzzly has chosen handpicked for his own, uh, own benefits. So as of the last month or so, members of the Hazara minority, which are um, in the Bamiyan province who are already targeted by the Taliban for persecution because they're a, a religious and ethnic minority. Uh, also facing extra uh, special treatment from, from Fuzzly and they seem to have had enough. So they are, they are speaking up against it. They initiated a social media campaign tagged in the UCI and David Lepartian, which caused Fuzzly to contact some of those behind the campaign. In some messages, he, he said, you idiots of the Hazara do not understand humanity. You unskilled laborers are so far from being a cyclist. Uh, in others, he became more threatening. In one phone call, he allegedly told a cyclist, if you see my works as betrayal, I will kill and destroy your family and yourself. And then in a direct message that we've seen and translated, there was a, a worrying escalation. This is, this is Puzzly, the guy that was awarded a medal by the UCI for his services to Afghan cyclists and bravery in the face of the Taliban. He wrote, the pe people of the Taliban are my own. Until they have sent me photos of your dead bodies, I will not rest. 
So as of last weekend, the cyclists of Bamiyan organized another social media campaign trying to draw attention to uh, the abuses of the Afghan Cycling Federation. The Taliban were ordered to their houses. One Afghan cyclist uh, was captured and badly beaten. And multiple members of the, the Bamiyan cycling community are on the run in Afghanistan. That's where we're at at the moment. Um, Fuzzly has not responded to any questions from cycling tips uh, about whether he's personally threatened any athletes or whether he has any personal connection to the Taliban. Um, but we believe that these messages that we've received are legitimate. We've uh, translated them. We've verified them as much as possible. And it seems fairly clear that an escalating pattern of abuse is happening and is not being acted upon. So at this point, looking at Fuzzly's actions from start to finish, is it black and white abuse? I think that part of the the interesting nuance of this story is that it didn't start out that way. Like Afghanistan is a collapsing country. There's widespread poverty and famine. It's clearly not in a good spot. Um, most of the, the country's citizens are facing famine. There's widespread gender discrimination. It's been described as the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Things are really bad. And I, I don't think that as a white Westerner, I'm in any kind of position to define somebody's actions when they're facing trauma and they're living in a country that is imploding on itself. So when it comes to the initial evacuation and Fuzzly getting out his family, like one of, one of the people he evacuated is his 19 year old brother. And he's just a dumb kid. Like he's probably not a cyclist. Doesn't look like a cyclist. Pictures of him posing with an assault rifle on an open Instagram profile. And he's threatening people as well. Like he's just a 19 year old kid. And Fuzzly's got other family members. I think it's important not to lose sight of the humanity at the core of this, because if I was in that position, I'd want to get my family members out. It's, it's an impossible situation where I think things get more clear cut is in the way that after these discrepancies were exposed. The conduct has become increasingly violent. The conduct has become increasingly aggressive. I think that it is becoming increasingly black and white that this is unacceptable behavior and that there's not really shades of gray around it when, when you're ordering people to get tortured, to get beaten, uh, threatening to kill them. I think that that crosses the line. Equally, I think that the UCI was doing a noble act. And as much as they were giving themselves a pat on the back, I think that they deserve to be applauded for, for sticking their neck out. And it's really unfortunate 
that it's backfired in this way. But there isn't, there doesn't seem to be any kind of accountability or recognition that they've, uh, they've made some wrong calls along the way. They are either burying their heads in the sand or they're, they're just paralyzed by fear of doing something wrong. But when you're refusing to comment on multiple, multiple credible allegations of hideous conduct that is happening under the orders of somebody that has been awarded by you, one of your highest honors, second highest honor that the organization has behind the one that they gave to a dictator in Turkmenistan a couple of years ago, but I digress. I, I think that, The whole thing's just really damn depressing. And it's convenient for them to be able to try and say that they're apolitical and that they're not going to take a stance on this, but they took a stance. They did what they thought was the right thing. And now they're uh, actively refusing to do what is the right thing by working to rectify some of those imbalances. It's, it's a sad and troubling situation, but it doesn't seem to be getting better and it's not going to get better unless some action is taken because the Taliban's not going to suddenly decide that Cyclists are great. Firstly, it doesn't seem likely to decide that he's just going to stop his apparent reign of terror. And until, until somebody does something about it, we're just going to end up spiraling further and further until I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but I, I don't like to think about it. It's not going in the right direction. This might be too big of a question for you to answer, but what can be done to stop that spiraling? I think there needs to be public recognition from the UCI that all of the people that are telling them that something is wrong are basically being gaslighted by the UCI who are saying that everything's fine and that they're, um, they're crazy for alleging these things. That doesn't seem to be the case at all. And I think that that's unfortunate conduct from the UCI. I think that if there was any kind of sign that they were willing to sanction Fuzzly, they could remove his presidency of the Afghan Cycling Federation. They could uh, install a new Afghan Cycling Federation leadership. Whether there's any appetite to do that, whether that has to come from the Asian Confederation level, I'm not sure. But nobody seems to be taking any action on it. And meanwhile, Fuzzly's in, in Switzerland at the... UCI World Cycling Center just ordering these atrocities. So I, I don't think that there's a, a clear-cut answer, but I, I think some some sort of recognition and some sort of sanction, um, even if it's, I mean, in the broad scheme of things, something like a slap on the wrist from the UCI Ethics Commission probably isn't much, but it's at least something. I'd take that. Well, God forbid this is another 
scenario that we find ourselves reporting on in the future. But if that were to happen, what could the UCI do differently? I think one of the continuing sources of frustration for me in reporting on these less savory aspects of the UCI and other um, sports governance issues is that members of the Olympic movement, so the UCI sits under the IOC, are bound by a charter that requires them to be apolitical. And I don't think that that works. I don't think that that can work when there's horrible things happening in the world. And maybe this is just stupid idealism, but I don't think that there's a problem with taking a stance to do the right thing. And I think that the UCI would be judged a lot less harshly if they did. Whether they feel that that's within their remit, I don't know. But at the time we're recording, Russia's just invaded Ukraine. I've asked the UCI whether they have any stance on that. I'm not going to get a response. I know that. Yeah, and I couldn't even get a response about their thought process when deciding to have the U23 uh, women's race part of the elite race in Wollongong. I emailed them three times. I'm surprised that you think you could get a response from them about Ukraine. Yeah, well, I maybe I'm just an optimist. I don't know. But it 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 is it is just so bleak that in a world that's more engaged with issues like this where a light a powerful light can be shone on these kind of uh imbalances or these atrocities that there's just this Swiss neutrality that just sits over it all and nothing gets done. Like we'll be, we'll be looking at a press release about time trial extensions or sock height or something. And that will be the, the thing that they've spent their time on and decided is I'm, I'm coming across too negative. No, no. I mean, I think there could be a much larger discussion, probably controversial discussion, on the inclusion of politics in sport. We are not equipped to have here. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, I, I agree, we're not equipped to have it. But they've also, when it's been beneficial for them from a PR perspective, they've decided that they're okay coming out against the Taliban they're okay evacuating cyclists from that and not engaging with the Taliban. Uh, so you, you can't just pick and choose when it's beneficial to you from a PR perspective when you're going to engage with these things and ignore it the rest of the time and bury your head in the sand when terrible things are happening. You can't claim the great PR moment of evacuating cyclists from Afghanistan when you're giving awards and world championships to dictatorships where homosexuality is illegal and say that you're representing cycling for all. It's true. And we've seen, even in, in the US, we've seen this, I mean, I'm hesitant to call it a debate, but conversation of politics in sport with the world championships happening in Arkansas and all of the trans rights issues that are happening 
there at the moment. So it's obviously not restricted to specific countries. It It is far bigger than that. But it's our job to chase these stories and put them in front of you all because... I mean, that seems like I don't have to explain why you should know that these things are going on, given the UCI's <laughs> track record. Um, not all that surprising that that they've remained silent on this topic. I think the, the truly depressing thing about this one is <laughs> the fact that whilst, whilst we... Um, whilst we wrote the story. We were also part of the story and we possess the paper trail. I, I have the paper trails. So I know when they knew that this was happening because I sent the emails. I spoke to the people uh, that were facing these recriminations. I, I think more than just reporting from a bit of a remove, there's a closer engagement with, with this story that has made me more keenly aware that this has not been handled appropriately because I know, I know the dates I've, I've got the receipts. Like it's, it's just so clear cut. And so, and the silence as a result of it just feels so deafening when you, when you hold all of those cards and you know, all of the moving parts and still you can see that nothing's being done. It, it makes it harder to give the benefit of the doubt. Well, I'm curious to see if you will ever be awarded credentials to cover a race on the ground ever again. <laughs> well, championships in Australia this year. I'll get to see all my friends. Thank you so much for your reporting on this story. And if there's any updates, we'll, we'll bring them to you. You, the people, you, the listeners. Thank you, Abby. Thank you.